You ever have that feeling where you're not sure if you're awake or still dreaming? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. The idea that has always fascinated me about dreams is everything within that dream is created by your own mind as you experience it. You remember the chance to build cathedrals, entire cities, things that never existed, things that couldn't exist in the real world. Have you ever had a dream, Neil, that you were so sure was real? Once you were able to wake from that dream, how would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? Hello and welcome back to the Lucid Dreaming Podcast. This is episode 25 and I have another interview for you today, but some updates first. Um, I'm actually participating in a bunch of upcoming events, uh, two of them in person and one online. That's going to be really cool. Um, all of them are in the beginning of February, so it's coming up soon. And if any of you are in the area for any of them or free for the online one, uh, please check it out. I'll put the links in the show notes. Um, and all the show notes will be for this episode at lucidsage.com slash 25. So that's the number 25. The first one is the Consciousness Hacking Meetup in San Diego. That's on February 3rd. So either just search Google Consciousness Hacking San Diego uh, again, you can find the, the link on the website. The So that's going to be awesome. It's going to be a very interesting uh, discussion about dreams and dream tech and uh, all that fun stuff. On February 7th, I'm giving a talk at the Consciousness Hacking Meetup in Santa Barbara. And the last one is on February 10th. That's um, an Evolver Learning Lab course. And that's actually hosted by Jennifer Dupere, who I was on a panel with. Uh, a little while back in in Palo Alto in the Consciousness Hacking Meetup over there, and she's hosting she's she's hosting this course and has a bunch of guests. It's like six sessions, so I am participating in one of the sessions about lucid dreaming. But all of them are about various dream states and dream work. Uh, and very interesting guests. It's a good list of guests, uh, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, so that's going to be fascinating. So I'm going to be in one of those sessions that starts February 10th, and I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but you can Google Evolver Learning Lab as well and look for that. Um, so a lot of cool, fascinating stuff uh, up ahead. Hopefully uh, you get to watch some of it, or if uh, you're in San Diego or Santa Barbara, I'd love to meet you. That would be really awesome. Okay, so our interview today is with dream researcher Kelly Bulkley, who, I, who was also on the panel with me and Jennifer in Palo Alto, and that's where we, that's where we met. And uh, he's a fascinating character who knows a lot about the history of dreams. And we talk about um, dream interpretation and dream analysis, uh, his database of uh, um, collections of dreams. And we get, we get into all sorts of stuff. So hopefully you'll enjoy this, uh, this interview. So the recording is a little choppy here and there. Not too many audio glitches, but a few. But um, luckily this will no longer be an issue going down the line, hopefully, or far less common, as I've uh, discovered a new way to record interviews. Uh, for those of you who like to know the technical side of podcasting, there's a really cool service called Zencaster, which basically records the audio on both ends and then sends them both to me. So instead of me recording the audio that comes over the internet and not always comes over nice, you know, this records on both ends and then sends me the audio and I put it together. So it's really, really awesome. I've already recorded another interview that I will post next week um, with this and it, it came out great. So uh, look forward to better quality audio. I know I'm looking forward to it. So, all right, here's uh, today's interview and uh, hope you enjoy it. Um, today I have with me Kelly Bulkley, who is a uh, dream researcher and the former president of the International Association of the Study of Dreams and the editor of the APA journal Dreaming. Um, Kelly, thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to, glad to be here. Um, so we, we, were, we met um, uh, 
not too long ago, uh, at a, we, we were on a panel at the event at the Consciousness Hacking Meetup in San Francisco, in, uh, in Palo Alto. Um, I think before that, I, the first time I heard your name, which is, oddly enough, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure I may have came across your material online, but I didn't, I didn't yet connect. It's like, oh, it's this person who's a dream researcher and so on. I think I first heard your name when I was talking to the folks at Dreamboard. Who, who are doing the, the, the Dreamboard app. Uh, and then from there, I sort of picked up the thread and, uh, and realized how much you, you write about it. And then I followed you on Twitter and I was like, okay, this, this is very interesting. So even though we had uh, not a lot of interaction, it was, it was awesome to, to be on stage with you and we were both talking about all sorts of interesting subjects. So I do have a ton of, uh, I have a bunch of questions for you, but as I, as I told you, let's, let's just get into some conversation. Perhaps if you want to start, uh, just a, a little more brief uh, kind of history of, of who Kelly yeah, is and yeah. yeah no it's well it's fun to get to talk um, and that that was a real fun event the the consciousness hacking thing um, I really didn't know what I was getting into and but it was fun uh, Jennifer compare and yourself um, talking about lucid dreaming and technology and consciousness and 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 a, a, a deep spirit of experimentation and curiosity that I just think is so exciting. So I I, I left that gathering really um, pumped up about you know the research I'm doing and, and and learning more about the stuff you're doing as well. So yeah yeah that was a good time. Yeah hmm. and, and for our listeners I'll um, I'll link to the to the video in the in the show notes and on the website. Yeah cool. Yeah so that was that was a lot of fun and and kind of a. Um, a place where s several of my interests kind of came together in terms of being able to talk about uh, lucid dreaming, uh, the science of dreaming, the the, the relevance of, of history and religion, um, and and then yeah, what are, what kind of new technology, the kind of thing you're doing? You know, I was really interested to hear what you're up to, so I want to hear you know sort of the, yeah and on that front as well. Um, so cool. yeah. We can get, definitely get into that. Um, I wanted to ask you about, because I think most of what I see on Twitter, at least, uh, uh, from your tweets, is, is a sort of digging into uh, dreams in literature, dreams in history. Um, how do you get into, into researching all that? What, what, what led you to all of this? And, and what's your main, what, what is the main thing that you do in, in, in this term? Because you, you, you're an author, you, you wrote a bunch of books, Mostly, I think, almost all about uh, dreaming in, in one context yeah, or another. Yeah, one form or another, yes, yeah, all about dreaming, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I got interested in dreams back in high school, really, in early adolescence when uh, I had a series of recurrent nightmares that were really puzzling and kind of challenged my way of thinking about things. And one thing led to another, and I got interested in the subject of dreams and wanted to, to, to study more about them in, in college. And, and I initially thought, well, I'd study psychology, because that seemed like the, the main discipline that people go to to study dreams. And I quickly found that that just wasn't going to work well for me in terms of what I was interested in and the way psychology was being taught where I was. So I found that, that philosophy and religious studies were uh field of study where i could learn more about the kinds of dreams the kinds of teachings about dreams that i was curious to learn about and where i could bring psychology into the discussion as well so um so my 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 doctoral training is in the psychology of religion basically um thinking about religion from psychological perspectives and thinking about psychology as a kind of modern expression of religious interests and questions and dreams for me as a researcher in that field are kind of the central phenomenon. You know, dreams have been venerated by religious people throughout history, and yet they have a lot of uh, scientific uh, studies showing that there's something really important going on. So it's um, that's kind of how I how I come at it from this. Yes, humans have been studying dreams for a long time, uh, often in religious contexts, but now. We need to kind of combine that with scientific research, and then we can really figure out what's going on and take it to you know new levels. Right, and and dreams is a just a giant, fascinating uh, topic. And and tell me if if you find this accurate, or, or or you you would say that there's a it's a much more than that. But it seems like in um, 
references in, in history and in religion, uh, do they deal mostly with dream interpretation? Or is it just uh, anything from this, this, this is how the gods communicated or something like that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the whole spectrum. I mean, it, and, and, and one thing I think is interesting is that, that throughout history, people have recognized that a lot of dreams are kind of trivial and just kind of relate to everyday normal stuff in your life, things you're thinking about, you're bugged about. Most cultures through history have recognized that a lot of dreams have that kind of, you know, ordinary context. What they've also believed is that some dreams are different and some dreams come from a different part of the mind. They, they, they involve the soul wandering away from the body. They involve visitations from different, however people characterize it, they, they distinguish sort of ordinary dreams from special dreams. That's a, that's a very common cross-cultural theme. And to me as a researcher now looking at, 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 at what Carl Jung called big dreams, um, I think there's a lot to learn from you know, the psychology looking at some of these historical teachings um, and then looking at the history and in, in with, with some of the psychology to help us understand it. So yeah, that's the connection. Yeah, and um, this, and we'll, we'll go all over the place, uh, but this, uh, this makes me want to ask you about the, um, the sleep and dream database. Um, so is that something that you created or you just collaborated on? How did that come about? And what, yeah, what is so it? Yeah, so the, the, the Sleep and Dream database is a, an online uh, archive and, and search engine that I've, I've developed with the help of a, a software engineer named uh, Kurt Bullocker uh, to promote dream research. And it's, um, for many years, I worked with Bill Domhoff uh, and his dreambank.net uh, website, which is also a big archive of dreams has a bunch of cool search functions, a bunch of statistical packages. Very, very cool. I love it. And it's a great tool for, for kind of mainstream psychological approaches. I, I'm coming at it from, from a slightly different perspective in terms of history and religion. So starting maybe five or six years ago, I started um, developing a, a, a database that would be more customized for the kind of research I wanted to do. And so the Sleep and Dream database is, uh, uh, is, that, is that database and, and, and uh, involves um, maybe 30,000 dreams at this point from different sources. Um, so some gathered from me, some gathered by other people. Um, and what it really does, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's a tool of kind of big data technology in a, in a way, which is really cool. At the same time, to me as a dream researcher, it's, it's the culmination of a long-term aspiration of dream investigators throughout history, going back to Artemidorus in classical Rome, people who were collecting dreams and sifting through them and trying to find patterns, you know, and these, they, they knew that, that those patterns were going to be really interesting if you could just get a large enough collection of dreams and sift through them well enough. Well, they didn't have computers, but they had the right, to me, the right idea in terms of looking for those larger scale patterns. So, so to me, something like the Sleep and Dream database is, is the culmination of something the research has been wanting to develop for, for centuries. And that's cool. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. And, um, uh, we're just at the beginning, I think, of a lot of great research in this field using these kinds of tools. Yeah, it's very cool. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's uh, basically open to the public. Like I was digging around, you can do a, um, a study analysis or a word search, and you have the, uh, the selecting from either all surveys or the catalog of a ton of info, filtering by age group, by uh, gender, by uh, country, location, all sorts of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I, there's, um, I mean, there's there's several different kinds of data in there. There's long series of dreams from people, say someone who's recorded a hundred or five hundred or a thousand dream reports. So a single person with lots and lots of dreams. Um, demographic surveys of say a couple thousand individual people with maybe one or two dream reports, plus lots of demographic data about 
yeah, age, gender, politics, religion, income, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's very flexible and um, uh, lots of different ways to play it. It's still a work in progress, of course. Uh, but but yeah, I really do emphasize the um, the accessibility and the transparency. Those those as a, again as a researcher, I want to do this in a way that's going to provide good, solid, reliable data for people. Um, and and the best way to do that, in my view, is to you know open one's books for people to check, to test, to verify, to extend. Uh, that's that's kind of open science, as I understand it. That's kind of and that's that's where I I, I think and Kurt Bolliker has helped me understand this. My database sort of designer uh, trying to make this a, a good model for research, you know, online research in the coming century. Yeah, I, I love it. I think uh, I think the idea in general is brilliant. And now with with computers, what we can do with with data and the whole like algorithms sifting through big data or pattern recognitions or seeing all sorts of like elements that are repeating in all sorts of ways can um, just give a lot of insights that we never thought we could we could do at least or would would be very hard to do manually. Um, it's one yeah. of the reasons I always suggest for people practicing lucid dreaming, for example, when uh, writing your dreams, um, beneficial not just for increasing dream recall, but for the benefit of if you, if you record it digitally, like on something like uh, Dreamboard or Shadow and, and any of those apps that uh, collect the data, especially like what, what I liked about Dreamboard um, is that they have different segments for things like um, colors and emotions and you know feelings and, and people and places and so they already make it easy to categorize like to, to take elements from the dream and put them in a searchable context and then even visually show you a variety of um, uh, aspects and and when you look at the data in aggregate you you automatically see patterns that you didn't even realize you had Right, 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 and that's the that's the promise of it, and and you know this kind of brings up something from the the the, the consciousness hacking event, which was um, the demise of the Zio sleep monitor, and and the the the, the sleeping dream database. Kurt and I spent some time building in uh, basically a portal for Zio data that that. You know, my grand vision was that I'd be able to easily correlate dream reports with with Zio data. And I've got that data for my own stuff, but I was hoping to to to, to go further with it. But the, the, the Zio company, you know, meant it's mine. So this is something I'm I'm real interested in. And I, I talk with the Dream Board people as well. They're they're a great a great outfit. And um, yeah, they they I mean they're 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 moving as I understand it in a uh, trying to develop some medical healthcare applications for this kind of database technology, which I think is awesome, and I think they've got a good good business plan going forward. Um, and I think part of it gets into this how kind of this kind of gets to your work, like how how to yeah gather and analyze and make sense of the kind of data that, that that people are now able to generate about their own dream experiences right uh and and there's a few a few things about that um i realized one because i was surprised at the data that came out like i i just would fill in dreams and and details and then at some point look at it and realize that the the most common um feeling for example, or, or, or experience that I would have in a dream is the feeling of surprise. And that was surprising on its own. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect that. I thought probably anxiety or, or, or stress or some, some other uh, thing. And then uh, repeating elements that, that just show up like items or a particular animal or a person. And then you're like, wow, I dream about this person a lot. I don't think I quite realized it until I, I entered it. So, so there's the, the whole personal data and what you can personal, personally get out of your own uh, dream reports and, and, uh, and dream data. And then, then there's the aggregate of the, the, the collective you know, yeah. consciousness and the collective uh, dream reports, which is, I think, very relating to what you're working on. And yeah. uh, you're also involved in, in, in the app shadow, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'll, I, I talk with all sorts of people. <laughs> yeah. 
been, you know, people have been um, working on this for in, from various angles for a while. And so, yeah, I, I, I consulted with um, uh, Hunter Lisuk, the, the guy who or, who's organized Shadow, yeah. the, the Reborn people. There have been a couple iterations before. Uh, and, you know, I think everybody's got the, the sense that there's this huge potential out there. You know, everyone's a dreamer. And I think probably what will happen is there will be a, you know, a, a variety of venues for people to track their dreams and get the kind of feedback that makes, uh, makes most sense to them. I, you know, it's, it's, it's the classic big data question, which is once you've gathered all this information, you know, how do you then make sense of it? And how do you, in the case of an app, give a user something um, of value. Uh, I mean, what, what, you know, it seems like what you're up to, there's a, there's a nice clear answer to that, which is person has more lucid dreams or has a, a change, a shift in the quality of their dreams that, that like, oh, that's, that's what happened after doing these practices, tracking my, my, my dreaming in, the, in these kinds of ways. Yeah, I, I get a lot of, um, and this this is what I wanted to ask you. So there, there's a bunch of, there's a couple of things. So before I forget, let me just plant this seed, which I wanted to ask you about um, if there's if there's some obvious examples of patterns or or information or insights that came out of looking at a lot of dream data. Um, so let, let's actually start with that. I'll, I'll get back to the lucid dreaming one because I do have a comment and, and a question about that, but. I mean, is there, is there some obvious ones that once you started uh, getting into all this and doing some data analysis that, that has started like becoming very interesting and like, wait a minute, there's some cool stuff here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one, I mean, this is all, and there's some specific things in terms of um, the colors in dreaming that appear most frequently being black, white, red, and blue or green tending to be uh, comparable to what anthropologists consider kind of basic color words around the world and in different cultures. So there's several things where, like that, where I think there are cool connections between particular patterns in uh, dream content and known aspects of human mental functioning. Um, but there's a bigger a bigger thing that I'm 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 impressed by as I, as I'm looking at lots of dreams and analyzing them in these ways, and that's kind of just the 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 deep uh, drumbeat consistency of a lot of our dream lives. That there's a that there's that it's really, it really is another world that has its own kind of framework, its own rhythms, its own um, uh, structure and 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 an ebb and flow that just I think is um, uh, really impressive and 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 so goes against the, the the kind of snarky scientific view of dreams is just random hodgepodge nonsense. It's like wow, there is this just amazing uh, stability in many of the features in terms of like kind of like what you're talking about. Like I mean. You know, I would have I would have told you if you'd asked me what's the most frequently appearing emotion in dreams, I would have said wonder slash confusion, of which surprise would be uh, you know part of that category. Lines, yeah, fear, sure. fear would be second, happiness third, anger fourth, sadness fifth. That's a very uh, consistent emotional pattern. Fascinating in in almost everybody I look at dream wise, um, with some variation. It's not a fixed thing, but that's but that's that's the cool thing right there is that then once we see these, these, deep, um, these deep patterns and rhythms, then the variations are really interesting. And so if someone has much less, you know, wonder and surprise and confusion and much more fear, we might say, wow, there's maybe there's something going on with that person. Cause for most people that's, it's, that's not the proportion. Um, just a simple, another simple example for most people, words relating to vision are by far the most frequently appearing uh, sense words, except for people who are blind. 
for those people, their hearing references are much higher. So you can see if you look through a bunch of dream reports and suddenly you see you know, a group of people or a person with very low visual references and very high hearing references, good chance that person is sight impaired or, or blind. So, I, and, and so anyway, that's the kind of finding that that's really like, I mean, they're cool findings in and of themselves, but they're super encouraging that, wow, if we push this further, there's more to find. Yeah, so. definitely. And I think in, in regards to uh, what we were starting to talk about earlier, um, so I so I get a lot of a lot of people in in the lucid dreaming sort of community, or at least a, a bunch of people that I interact with, um, discount the content to a large degree, or yeah. either they they just want to learn about techniques or becoming lucid, or um, I mean to some degree people are, are fascinated by cool experiences in a dream, but in 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 um, at the very least in doing a, a dream writing a dream journal in order to increase dream recall they're like well the it doesn't matter what happened let me just write it down so i remember more and hopefully become lucid but i think it's almost all about the content or or to put another way it's all about the experiences in the dream yeah. i um i did an episode a while back called your two lives and and basically the premise is that in, in one of my fascination and one actually one of the main reasons i um, study and promote lucid dreaming is because I realized uh, pretty early on that the content of your dreams is just like another life that's happening to you and because the experience feels real it affects you just as much uh, and, and sometimes more because these are, are often extreme experiences that we don't have day to day whether it's st uh, stressful, fear, joy, elation and some can be so intense that you wake up crying you wake up uh, ecstatic and that affects your your waking life and your 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 day so how do people discount the content it's just it's just strange to me i think it's missing the whole point almost yeah yeah but i but i i know what you mean that that's uh um particularly among people who are really psyched about lucid dreaming and looking to cultivate that um those kinds of metacognitive abilities in dreaming the content becomes uh, a little bit secondary. And, you know, there's there are some religious and spiritual traditions, Buddhism foremost among them, who also kind of downplay dream content as ephemeral or, or less interesting than, than the cultivation of those kind of uh, uh, lucid powers themselves. Now, even in, in, in Buddhist context, they, if you get down to it, they do pay attention to the content of their dreams. They often receive really interesting teachings or warnings or, you know, all sorts of things in the content of their dreams. So I think, I think you're right. I think that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind, even as people get excited, you know, and I think uh, legitimately so about expanding the range of their uh, cognitive abilities within uh, dreaming because that is cool. But you're right. I think the content still still matters. <laughs> it's still yeah. part of it. I, I mean, in in Buddhist context, as uh, uh, sometimes it's just considered another illusion. So just just like yeah. don't, don't take all of this to be so important in some sense. Don't have attachment to all this. Don't get attached to the to what happens in your dream either. Yeah. Except that you're right. They also yeah. still say, "Oh, this was an important experience, or this was a teaching, or this was." Was that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I'm curious about. Uh, I, I want to go uh, back to dream interpretation a little bit because I'm always, I've been fascinated by. It's tricky. I think that there's a lot of nonsense out there to some degree, uh, or it's at least for me, it was always hard to to sort through um, what seems to make sense, what's based in you know psychoanalysis, Freud, Jung. Um, and and I wondered, uh, and I wanted, and I want to hear your take on it, perhaps, if dream interpretation to some degree maybe can be helped or facilitated by a psychologist or, or a professional, but ultimately can only be done by the by the person, by the dreamer himself, because it's it's one of those like, what does that mean to you? And that's too open ended. But I think the first time I ever thought, you know what, there's something here, is when I had a dream that I could so well map onto an experience in life 
that still had meaning and that still was trying to tell me so or, or that I could derive some use out of looking at it uh, and was clearly about an event in my life, even though it seemed completely uh, unrelated, right. that I right. said, okay, there is something here. But nobody else could interpret, uh, interpret it other than me because nobody could, unless I tell a psychologist about this experience, maybe they can connect the dots. But that's, again... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's definitely um, a level at which only the dreamer can ever really know, because only the dreamer has access to that kind of primary pre-language, you know, experiential quality of the dream itself. And so, yeah, I think the the the, the privilege always goes to the dreamer. Um, that's a privilege that many therapists violate, of course, you know, uh, you know, tell dreamers what their dreams mean without listening to the dreamer. But I, I think that, that, I mean, this is one of the core ethical principles of the International Association for the Study of Dreams is that, that the dreamer is always the ultimate authority on what his or her dream means. And, and, you know, that's an important, um, uh, you know, thing to keep in mind sort of whenever we're talking about dreams that we're always sort of projecting onto each other. Right. But the important thing, you know, at the same time, dreams are rarely about kind of what we already know. Dreams are often, and in the, in the most sort of intense dreams, the big dreams that I'm particularly interested in, are usually about, you know, kind of not what's going on now, but what might be, what might become of us. And, and in a way, that quality of dreams makes it helpful to get other people's perspectives because sometimes our dreams are pointing in a direction that that's beyond where we consciously are and so almost by definition we can't quite see it but someone else maybe can and so this is where a good therapist i think can can be a, a companion in the process where anybody a, a a friend you know just a dream worker of of of, of any sort um, a family member, you can um, talk with other people about their dreams and share perspectives and insights um, precisely because you see the dream from an angle that the dreamer, him or herself, can't quite see. So it's kind of both. It's kind of both. I think that ultimately you always give the you know last word to the dreamer. I and mean, whenever I do a dream group, a dream discussion it's always the last words with the dreamer because that's 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 where the last word resides but you can have a real good discussion and and and, and learn a lot um in both directions by 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 sharing you know different perspectives on a dream so it's um it's a combination and then then yeah it's a combination and then the theories and the techniques and methods you know they all i mean there's a million of them and they're they're helpful in some cases depending on the type of dream depending on the person so um yeah as, as a kid yeah. as a kid i was given um, a dream interpretation book and it was like okay you open it up and it's like oh you dreamt about a snake or about water and here's what it means um and i right. again do you think there are some kind of archetypes that do uh, again, maybe an aggregate uh, seem to imply the same or a similar thing for most people or not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so those books don't help if you take them as pure, but if the dream, if, if those are ideas, suggestions, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no. And in many cultures, those kinds of books are the distillation of a lot of accumulated wisdom and and discussion over the over the ages so um you know i think it would be interesting for you know continue with sort of the technology piece like what if you had a dream say of an octopus and you look up in a database well how many other people have dreamed of octopuses octopi um who are those people in what settings and what i mean you could so there's almost a, a possibility for a modern version of that dream book approach that could, if used carefully, <laughs> you know, could be helpful, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think for the first time we're getting into an age where 
that could be done on a large scale that would actually give us something useful or disprove it or, or some, something yeah, in between. Disprove it is always a possibility too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, uh, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, so what, so, uh, you were expressing, um, an interest. I, I love the, the whole data thing and statistics. Um, so you, you, you've written a lot of books. Um, there's one, um, recent one you collaborated with Ryan Hurd, uh, called New Perspectives on Lucid Dreaming, I think. And what I love, there's a giant section with just, just full of statistics about lucid dreaming and lucid dreamers. Um, is that, I, I wanted to ask you what's, what was your part in, in the book and your involvement? I know you're the dream data guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that um, yeah, Ryan and I uh, put that, that project together and, and it's a two volume collection of, of uh, a lot of great research and um, uh, uh, analysis of lucid dreaming from sort of mystical approaches to very clinical to very scientific. Um, and and uh, yeah, the chapter I, I wrote, I, I wrote one chapter and co-wrote another in addition to sort of editing with Ryan, uh, who did just an amazing job, by the way, Ryan's just the best. Um, uh, the, the, the one chapter I, I wrote was, yeah, sort of, uh, some statistical, uh, reflections on lucid dreaming, uh, in terms of who has lucid dreams, um, and what kind of contents are typical of lucid dreams. And so, um, nothing, you know, I wouldn't say anything, I mean, and a lot of this coming from the sleep and dream database of a lot of my research and then combining that with things that other people have done. And it all kind of fit together well in the sense that um, lucid dreamers tend to be kind of intense dreamers to begin with in the sense of being relatively on the younger side of things. Um, uh, you know, both both uh, men and women, sometimes more men in, in, in certain cases, but it's a, it's, it's, it's definitely something that, People say they often experience in childhood to begin with, and then it can diminish later in life. Not not always, but that's people often report that. So, um, uh, but at the same time, lucid dreaming seems. I, mean, I think this is one of the 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 take home messages was that lucid dreaming. When when surveys ask people about lucid dreaming, even though there is this kind of age drop off, their lucid dream experiences are reported among all age groups all both genders pretty much all racial groups all education levels it's a very widely distributed phenomenon so it kind of highlights the fact that you know this isn't an obscure uh, esoteric phenomenon uh, although it can be taken in those directions but it's actually a pretty widely uh found and experienced phenomenon and then similar thing with some of the surveys uh about how often do people experience lucid dreams? How, you know, have you ever experienced a lucid dream? And, um, uh, and, and what are those dreams? Like what, what are the contents of them? And uh, in many cases, they're, they're pretty similar to ordinary dreams. Like there's, there's a lot of the same characters, a lot of the same settings. What seems to distinguish lucid dreams is um, higher levels of effort, of, 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 of sort of focused, intention yep. that 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 manifests itself in um uh you know sort of heightened awareness of what's going on and interestingly you know apropos of what i was saying about um uh blind dreamers uh this the 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 collections of lucid dreams i've looked at tend to have relatively low visual references comparable in some ways to blind people and so with that, and I got to look at more studies, more data to see if that's, you know, real or if that's just kind of a arbitrary artifact of what I've been looking at. But it's gotten me thinking, could it be that in lucid dreaming, there is less attention to kind of the external visual field in the dream and more on the, the, the dreamer's own kind of thought processes, intentions, efforts, and cognitive uh, uh, activities, you know, so 
which which would make sense of some of the um you know the narrative accounts of lucid dreams i, I don't know that's something i'll i'll have to i'll twist. seem to be somewhat less emotions in lucid dreams too um there seems to be uh, although some lucid dreams are generated out of a nightmare out of a, a very frightening dream but I, but many many other lucid dreams seem to emerge from a, a fairly stable and kind of emotionally balanced place in the dream sphere <laughs> yeah so so yeah so so there's and this is all research that needs to be sort of extended in advance but it it the goal um of including it in the book was to kind of establish lucid dreaming as um something really there to be studied that it's not weird it's not uncommon it's not unheard of and it's not so wild and crazy that we can't kind of compare it to dreaming in general and how the mind works during sleep so um yeah yeah I, i'm i'm I, uh, it's like we, we pulled it off, dang. Yeah, I found it. I found it um, fascinating. Uh, I think it's one of the one of the better uh, aggregates of uh, of data. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll link to the book in the show notes because uh, what I liked is that when I started and I was trying to research um, more more data and statistics about lucid dreaming and lucid dreamers. Uh, this was one of the best aggregates of, of that data, and I think it reveals definitely that lucid dreaming is far more universal than, than people give it credit. Um, again, it's uh, across ages, um, gender, cultures. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And yeah. it's, it's very universal. Uh, very interesting that it happens spontaneously more in early childhood, for example, uh, for a lot of people. Um, early childhood to, to teenage years, although it, it does happen spontaneously uh, for adults as well. All sorts of stuff. There's just like, it's it's very interesting. And I, I part of what I'm hoping to do is not, you know, in, in trying to build something to help people lucid dream is, uh, so a big part of it is just giving people the access to, to that ex tremendous experience and all the effects that it can have on your psychology and your, your, your sleep and so on. And then the, what it could open up for dream research, uh, psych psychology research, and uh, consciousness research. And I think there's just, uh, just a lot to be dug out and, and, and discovered as soon as we can just like have it a little more uh, ubiquitous experience for people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, my interest in sort of the, the statistical frequencies and such, um, I mean, that's a real detour in terms of where I started my my work and i mean i'm coming through that in a way to look more deeply at the kind of the phenomena of lucid dreaming the 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 varieties of the the, the experiential depths in those kinds of dreams and other kinds of dreams that that the statistical frequencies and such provide a nice framework a nice kind of uh sense of like okay here are the broad kind of um you know uh, uh, rhythms and 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 tidal flows of, of 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 dream experience and with that knowledge now we can really go deep and we can really feel like we've got a good sense of orientation in, in in going deep knowing these these bigger patterns so um looking at those kinds of statistics i i, I think is helpful as a stepping stone to those kinds of experts stuff we can all work with here let's that's that's you know let's get to it yeah um it reminds me another another little point about uh both uh, experience and dreams and their meaning or their connection to uh, even to lucid dreaming because uh ever since i was a kid and th this started at my very first lucid dream ever 99 percent of the dreams in which i am flying would become a lucid dream. So somehow flying is a trigger for lucidity for me, even though like many other bizarre or impossible things would not be. Um, and, and every time I would become lucid not flying, my first instinct is to start flying. And maybe that's just a coincidence, maybe because flying is just so, so much fun. Um, 
But I found that interesting. I found like I was curious as to why a particular experience in a lucid dream would be a trigger uh, and others would not. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, there seems to be um, several paths into lucidity. Uh, and from my perspective, many of them derive from just kind of a general uh, heightened activation of kind of the dreaming process. So a scary dream, you know, a, a chasing dream, a falling dream, a flying dream, a sexual dream, a visitation dream, uh, any number of intensified types of dreams can spark that kind of, you know, heightened awareness that, 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 that we refer to as lucidity. So, you know, I, I would imagine it's probably, yeah, kind of a, an individual not a not not taste, but sort of your own developmental trajectory that that flying for you has been, you know, the 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 you know the easiest and smoothest access into that level of dreaming. So, um, uh, and that might be where the childhood connection comes from, because flying dreams are also more common in childhood, and so there's there's probably a connection. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about? Um, and I don't know how much this shows up in 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 the the database or the research you've been doing or, or just reading about other people's research. But there's a phenomena for some people, and it happens both in lucid dreams and regular dreams, that um, the intensity of, I, I call it the reality dial. There is like the meta, metadata of the dream seems to inform you that this is somehow hyper real or more real than real. Um, are, do, are you familiar yeah. with this phenomena? Is it connected to any types of contents yeah. of dreams? Or what do we know about it? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's from a religious studies perspective. That's, that's one of the great, uh, you know, mysteries of dreaming is that, that, that people throughout history have experienced dreams that feel realer than real, that feel, you know, like you've really been to this other world, this other place, you've really met this supernatural being. Um, so, you know, that's a, a, you know, one of the signal, I think, features of dream. In fact, it's that phenomenon to me is the best argument against a kind of scientific dismissal of dreaming. The fact that 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 some dreams hit us, and this is a widespread phenomenon. It's not just modern people; it's people throughout history. So there's something in human nature that can create these experiences of like just realer than real intensity and. It just defies everything we know about kind of evolution and the way the mind works to think that something like that happens and it's meaningless and it's pointless. It has no purpose or function or relevance, right? That's absurd. There's something going on there. And researchers are teasing out some of the parts of the brain, aspects of the brain that, that when they're damaged in sort of regular life, people have a tough time distinguishing between reality and fantasy. So there, there are parts of the brain that, that, that um, kind of monitor what's, what's what. And it seems that in certain dreams, either that part of the brain shuts down or it goes into overdrive or it teams up with some other part of the brain and creates like this hype. I mean, it's, there's, the brain can do it. There's no doubt that that the 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 brain is capable of creating, uh, uh, you know, exquisitely realistic simulation of anything it wants. Um, I call this, and this is in, in, in this new book I've I've, um, I've got coming out. I call this the autonomous visionary capacity. That's kind of my my fancy word for this ability, autonomously without even trying, to generate these incredible visionary worlds um, with, like I said, and like, like you pointed out, this amazing sense of, of realism. Uh, that's not, that's not a, that's not a, a you know, a, what is not, not, not a bug, but a feature. Like that's right. a, that's a, right. that's an amazing feature of the way our minds work. And, and, and the more we can kind of cultivate that and explore that, the better, I think. So. Yeah. I feel like there's a, um... 
like there's a there's a big clue into human consciousness and how the brain works. Um, I think it's interesting that in a dream, uh, it most of them just feel real without necessarily even comparison. You're you're in a dream. You believe it. You take it for real. Uh, and some dreams can feel more real, and that's why I call it the dial. Like the dial of the realism is up. Or you can become lucid and it suddenly feels less real because you know that there's another reality that you are more familiar with and is more solid and consistent and the dial kind of goes down and that's just fascinating on its own. And like you're pointing out, this can happen, it's less common, but this can happen um, where, where waking life feels less real uh, than before or sometimes more real, but there's like uh, the issues of differentiating because of, because of that between waking and, and, and dreaming, which is just, I mean, it's just on its own is a fascinating phenomena. Yeah. One of, one of my, my, uh, most influential teachers in grad school is, a uh, expert in Hindu mythology named Wendy Doniger, um, Wendy Doniger of Flaherty's. Now she wrote some of her books and she wrote a book called dreams, illusion, and other realities, uh, that talked about, uh, various myths in Greek and particularly in Hindu culture playing with this idea of dr a dream experience that feels realer than reality kind of prompts a kind of a recursive philosophical thought process of well how, this reality isn't a dream and and so there, there are plenty of Hindu myths where characters will fall asleep they'll wake up they'll go about their lives they'll live a long life, have children, get old, die, and suddenly wake up back where they started. And, you know, the, all playing with the idea, as I, as I learned from, from, from Wendy, that um, in some ways it doesn't matter uh, that, 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 we're, that, that human life isn't about figuring out what is happening, you know, what reality we are, but rather kind of learning to navigate through multiple realities that we're always living in multiple realities. Um, they always have a dimension of dreamlike illusion to them. Uh, and then there's, as she pointed out, there's kind of a fork in the road where, you know, in a more Buddhist direction, it becomes everything is an illusion and nothing has ultimate reality. And then a more this is in Hinduism, a more traditional path of, you know, this world matters and there's karma and, 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 and what you do here has an influence on, on later life, both in waking and in dreaming. So um, dreaming in that, in that sense becomes an arena for almost any, I mean, every religion has its way of working with dreams. There's no right religious doctrine about dreams, really. Um, Yes, except saying that that you know you the founder knows what the dreams are and nobody else does that maybe that's the whatever it is yeah yeah um, I uh, again this goes back to the whole like concept of like your two lives or something and I always uh, try to think about it uh, because a lot of it is like the language and the culture and how we're brought up to look at dreams or dream versus reality or wishes you know reality the hindu the buddhist views uh have different different outlooks at it and i'm thinking what's what's the common uh component uh what's the what's if we had to recategorize dream versus reality what how would we categorize both as as what would be the the common thing and for me it's always like these are both experiences that you're having so you might feel that one is more real or one is more solid and consistent, another one is more hectic and strange, but you're experiencing both of them. And often enough, you're experiencing right, both right. of them as real. It doesn't matter what the content yeah. of, them, of them are. And that's why I, I find it strange. The more I think about it, how we discount one and easily forget it and then just pay so much more attention yeah. and take for granted more... Uh, the other one, which is understood, it's because of our experience, but I see them as both experiences you're having. Yeah. This th this entire thing is your life. It's right, not just right. this one versus this one. So I, I always thought it was um, an interesting, uh, different way to to look at yeah. it. Yeah, you know, um, you put that sounds a lot like um, kind of existential psychoanalysts from kind of 
mid 20th century people like um Ludwig Binswanger and uh, uh, Frederick Pearls, like would talk about dreams. Uh, uh, Maynard Boss uh, wrote some good stuff about dream experience, very much like what you were saying there. Um, thinking about how what's fundamental in life is experience, not the the reality status or the consciousness status, but that 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 experiential quality, which we find in dream and, and, and an argument could be made that that because of the uh, flexibility of the boundaries and categories in dreaming, that's your form of experience. You could argue, you know, that that's that's a more um, uh, that's an arena in which experience can be uh, felt and and explored most most freely. Um, so yeah, that's 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 interesting. I like that. <laughs> cool. Um, so we we're coming up on an hour. This this has been uh, a lot of fun. I wanted yeah. to ask you before I let you go uh, a little bit about your personal experience with with lucid dream. Uh, I'm assuming you you've had at least a few. Um, yeah. But like, how what's what was perhaps your first one or your first introduction to that the concept of lucid dreaming and in, in any experiences that that you have. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, it it it, it started very much um, in kind of the negative side of the spectrum in terms of um, chasing dreams or falling dreams, where the fear would hit a certain kind of peak overload kind of stage, where I would I would realize it's a dream and kind of you know climb my way back to consciousness. Is kind of the way it felt. Um, so it was, it was, it was, it, it wasn't sort of an extended lucidity kind of experience, but it was very much, wow, this is happening and I know I'm dreaming, but damn, it's scary. And I, I got to change this. I got to do something here. Um, and those dreams were very influential in terms of giving me a sense of the, uh, the power and the, 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 sort of, um, yeah, the autonomy of the dreaming imagination. Um, in more recent years, I've had more lucid dreams of um, kind of a hovering awareness, I'd say, not so much what can I do, where can I go, but more honing in my awareness on certain dream scenes. Kind of, and, and this is where the, the lucidity is a, is best understood as kind of a, 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 a an umbrella term for a, a variety of medic you know more technical term is metacognition in dreaming where that can include planning remembering reasoning evaluating judging i mean there's a whole host of more specific high level mental functions including self-awareness um and <laughs> What I've found in recent years is more more metacognitive dreaming, more dreaming where where the dream state, um, where more of my self awareness is present in the dream state. So it's I, it wouldn't even in most cases be lucidity in the sense of like oh I know I'm dreaming and I'm going to do something, but it's more uh, just the awareness. An awareness. That is yeah. yeah, an awareness of the dream world as 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 real in that moment. Kind of kind of this it's back to your experience point, I think. Kind of right. being aware of, yeah, wow, I am what's something's going on here. What is that? Yeah. And I, and trusting yeah, I, that I'll wake up and remember it, you know. <laughs> I actually refer to I, I don't uh, consider uh, lucidity uh, is is a definite connection to having dream control or even necessarily the desire to take dream actions. A lot of people say, oh, um, yeah. you know, I knew I was dreaming, but I couldn't, no matter what I did, I couldn't control the dream. I, I, don't, I don't see control as a, as a must. I also look at lucidity. I, the way I view it is like, it's like um, a segment on, on the spectrum of awareness. So it's not even yeah. like a point after which you become lucid. Um, and even after that, it's it's like a it's like a little area, and even after that, I, I love what you pointed out because um, when I want to sort of map the 
what is lucidity kind of thing. There are all those cognitive abilities um, that sort of come online and not even in sequence and not all, some of them show up, some of them don't always show up. And, and control is not always there regardless. You can still have access to memory. Um, you can still point your attention without changing the content. Um, I mean, it does affect the content of the dream. So it's very, it's very interesting. It's a multifaceted um, a, a kind of cognitive uh, arena, as I call it. And, um, yeah. and it's not always that cut and dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. That's and and that's that's maybe that's the natural maturation of looking into lucid dreaming. That it's it's the more we get into it, the more we learn, the more you know complicated we realize it is. But that's that's cool. A lot of lot lot of different things to explore. Yeah, and actually, from from my conversations with people, it seems that at the beginning, especially now, because lucid dreaming is so much more in the media and common, and people people. Um, practice it and try to cultivate it in order to have control in dreams. So that's why that comes pretty early on for people because they, they actively are, are trying to cultivate it. Um, but it's the people who have done it for a long time that, a, that are actually usually letting go of control and just doing the third person or even first person, yeah. just strict observation and letting the, the dream unfold. Exactly. And that's, that's yeah, there, there's been a long debate in... Uh, dream studies between lucid dream researchers and Jungian uh, people interested in Jungian psychology for whom the dream has its own kind of intelligence and wisdom. And the early approaches to lucid dreaming, which often were very kind of control oriented, really didn't sit well with, with people who were, you know, wanting to kind of open themselves to the dream process check their ego at the door and kind of let let the dream share with them rather than like going in there and changing things and moving things around. I think everybody's learned in the last 20 or 30 years that that, that you can do both, that, that that we can explore lucid dreaming in a way that 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 accepts and respects and celebrates that amazing creativity of the dreaming imagination, but kind of brings more um awareness and insight to to the experience yeah so yeah there are some fireworks in the early days around exactly this issue um uh but i think we're i think we're all figuring it out a little bit now and i think just just the way you describe it is where where we're where we're heading yeah yeah i think there's definitely room for both and it seems like it's becoming more more accepted and, and more widespread so that's that's cool um so where uh where could people find you and what's what's next what where are you working on next um, yeah, so, um, so I'm, I've, I've got a, a book contract for a project that's going to look at a, uh, a young woman who was, uh, who lived in late 1500s, uh, Madrid, Spain, uh, and gained a, a reputation as a prophetic dreamer. Uh, and that got her in trouble with the king and with the inquisition. Uh, so she was put on trial and imprisoned, and her trial um, involved an analysis of several hundred dreams that they they recorded of hers uh, that 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 were prophetic. I mean, had some really amazing things going on in them. The Inquisition had no idea what to do with her. Um, eventually, you know, whipped her. I think she was sent to several hundred lashes and and exiled. Um, eventually. Uh, but it's a fascinating story that centers on these, this collection of 100 dream reports that no one's really studied as dreams. Uh, so I'm going back to some of the original uh, documents and looking at what she dreamed about in the historical context. And basically, and her dreams are wildly lucid in all sorts of ways too. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, very, I mean, amazing dreams. And... Um, I'm going to look at, at this, this, trying to figure out what her dreams are, you know, were they from the devil? Was she making them up? Were they real? What, what, what was going on as kind of a, the way of creating present day questions, like what, what are the powers of dreaming? And in my view, this young woman had, had a, had a gift 
and and a gift of dreaming and it was cultivated in really interesting ways given the weird hyper-religious circumstances of her life at that point um and madrid was the capital of the the, the greatest empire in the world at that time um but at the same time they they had no idea what to, what to do with the young good-looking female dreamer i mean which she was and all of the male priests around her were just completely freaked out. So it's, it's a cool story. It's, it's, it's very historical. So it's kind of taken me in a new direction, but it's also very relevant, I think, uh, in relation to questions about, um, you know, what's, what's, what are the psychological costs of an empire and, and what, what can what what can the individual imagination contribute to the discussion of what an should or shouldn't do? So then that that's all I say now. It's 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 the project I'll be working on all year, but uh, uh, it's a fun one. So uh, yeah, very the, cool. I'll link to your website and to your uh, social profiles on the show notes. Um, Cool. Hopefully we can we can do this again sometime. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Sites, a lot of fun. We we could I'm sure we could talk for hours still. So yeah, let's, we'll keep in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I hope you've enjoyed this interview. Uh, more coming up very soon. And again, check out the links on lucidsage.com/slash25 for the general links and for the upcoming events. I'll post on social media as well, and you can always catch me on Twitter at TheLucidSage or by email, contact at LucidSage.com. All right. Um, so thanks again for listening. Sweet and lucid dreams.